All right. Uh, Exodus 21. Uh, so this book basically has kind of got three parts to it, the entire book. Uh, the deliverance. Uh, the, the Jews are delivered out of Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians. Uh, the second, maybe their journey into Sinai. And now at Sinai, in chapters uh, 21 to 23, the law is given. Uh, though Moses, uh, through Moses to the people. Uh, my wife calls, calls the Bible the owner's manual. And uh, I think that's really accurate. Uh, we'll see that God given, uh, he doesn't leave us guessing. For the Jews here at Sinai and then later for all of us about the Old and New Testaments, God is very clear about how we're to conduct ourselves. Uh, through the books of the Old Testament, through the prophets, continuing in the New Testament, through our reading, prayer, study, we learn more and more about who God is and how much He loves us uh, and His plan for us. And it's a plan we can follow with complete confidence. We can trust this plan. Uh, we may not be able to follow God's plan perfectly, but we can try. You give it your best shot. That's what it boils down to. Remembering that we're not called to perfection. We're not called to be perfect. That's a little scary. Uh, if, you, if you try to be perfect, you're not going to pull it off, and you know that. Uh, but if you give it your best effort, I think the Lord will reward that in itself. A friend of mine was a ski instructor. He used to tell his students, if you ain't falling, you ain't learning. You know, you're going to go down sometimes. In Exodus chapter 20, last week, uh, Henry uh, went through the Ten Commandments uh, that the people were afraid of, of, uh, of God, but Moses comforted them. Idolatry was forbidden. And what sort of altar should be built? Uh, I love to go over the Ten Commandments, not to be redundant, but because they are the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Shall not murder. Shall not commit adultery. Shall not steal. Shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Shall not covet. Uh, In chapter 21 now we find Moses receiving judgments from the Lord and relaying them to the people. In chapter 20, the nation of Israel had seen God, if only from a distance, and it asked Moses to intercede for him. Uh, the fear of the Lord can best be described as reverence. Uh, we're convinced, and rightly so, that God is love, and because of our confidence in his love for us, I think sometimes maybe we approach him a little too casually, but the fear of the Lord, the reverence, should be the staff that we lean on when we walk with him. Uh, these people, I imagine, are in the process of learning. They're in the process of learning about God, uh, the wonderfulness of God, the wonderfulness of His love. And at this time, uh, they were far from casual. They weren't casual about God here. Uh, they were more than happy to let Moses do the, the legwork for him. And uh, it said in chapter 20, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, uh, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And then Moses told them, Do not fear, for God has come to you to test you, that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. 
So the people stood afar off, and Moses, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Uh, interesting, I thought, that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. Uh, what keeps us from sin if not our reverence for God, our fear of the Lord? That's keep, you know, if I thought I had a free ride, I'd, I'd be in trouble. Uh, uh, my personal reverence for God is this. Uh, he's the God of all creation without any kind of limits, and he loves me. That flips me out. That really flips me out. Uh, let's get into our text. Exodus 21, verse 1. Now these are the judgments which you will set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and she shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring them uh, to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the males do, male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then she, he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. If men contend with each other, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, but he does not die, but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the hus woman's husband imposes on him, and then he shall pay as the ju judges determine. If any harm follows, then he shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. 
If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall be, let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. If an ox gores a man or, or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and has been made known to the owner, then he has not, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to death. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life. Whatever is imposed on him, whether it is gore to son or gore to daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to the, their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. If a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, or an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make it good, and he shall give money to their owner, but the animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in times past, and his owner has not kept it confined, then he shall surely pay ox for ox. The dead animal shall be his own. I found the use of the word judgments kind of interesting. Why not say laws? Uh, but it may be because the magistrates who would be dealing with these situations uh, would judge the people in, in these civil matters. These are civil matters. Uh, and uh, regardless, they were the rules that God sent to the people through Moses. Whether you want to call them laws or judgments or rules or whatever. Uh, why Moses? Once again, they had witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet. Uh, they, uh, they had an incredible uh, reverence or fear for God. They didn't want to come near. They wanted, okay, Moses, you do the, you do the legwork. In verse 1, now these are the judgments which you, you shall set before them. Judgments would indicate to both the people and those who would judge them the will of God and what he had ordained in a variety of situations. In chapter 21, there are some of the laws uh, are but some of the laws that would apply. There are going to be more laws as we go on. But for this one, uh, there were, notice that, that these are, are commandments. They're not suggestions. Uh, this is the will of God for the people, and they were suited to the times and circumstances that Israel would cover, uh, encounter at this time in their history. Uh, they're useful and practical, but they're not intended as the Ten Commandments to go on for, you know, forever. Uh, thou shalt not kill means the same thing today as it did when Moses brought the commandments down off the mountain. Uh, but these judgments were viewed, when viewed in context, were applicable to these times. Uh, they're valid today in principle and can be used as guidelines in our modern world. Maybe the next time, though, that my ox scores your ox, <laughs> you know, we can go back to these or... Or if, if one of you knocks out the tooth of one of his ser servants, you know, then we can use these judgments to settle matters. Uh, 
These judgments are founded through God's love and wisdom to provide a plumb line of justice and equity. To me, it's simple. It's simple, really simple. God loves us. Uh, he knows that we're imperfect and that we, well, we're going to step on each other's toes. Or worse, maybe even chop each other's toes off, either by accident or on purpose. Uh, we almost certainly need laws in order for civility to survive peaceably. We need it. Uh, once two of my grandkids uh, were involved in a, in a horrible dispute over a game they were playing on our computer. And, uh, and, and it was a brother and sister, and they were going at it like only a brother and sister can go at it. And uh, my wife, Debbie, solved it by flipping a biblical coin. Every time I read this verse in Proverbs, I think of this. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart, you know. And they, you know, first she got them to agree, I'm going to flip a coin and whatever comes down, you guys are going to go for it. And they said, okay. And they went for it. And so she flipped a coin. Okay, this worked with my grandkids. Okay, but God in these next verses, he doesn't leave the judgments to chance. He doesn't tell us to flip a coin. Uh, when there are disputes. He gives us judgments, once again, applicable to the time they were written. Okay? What we can draw from these judgments is our God is a God of justice and equity. He is fair, practical, and always has our best interest at heart. Uh, he knew, as he knows all things, he, that this was a stiff-necked people. The, you know, they were referred to as a stiff-necked people. And they would need guidelines. We need guidelines. We all need guidelines. We need parameters. Uh, the first 11 judgments are to be applied to slaves. Now, slavery was common in the Old Testament. In Rome, had a population in the millions. I forget the numbers. I didn't get the numbers down here. But what it boiled down to, there are millions of Romans, and there are millions of slaves. The, slavery was a common way of doing business. Uh, uh, the Jews were well acquainted with slavery. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So nobody could say, well, you don't understand. They understood. Uh, the laws of God gave the Jews regarding slavery, the laws that God gave the Jews regarding slavery are not the same as among other people. This is actually a huge step forward. This is not a step back. Uh, for instance, among the Romans, uh, how's this for a rule? If a, if a slave were gravely ill or maimed, he could be killed. He would be considered unprofitable. Uh, kind of like sending a car to the junkyard, you know. Uh, but in Israel, slaves had rights and a place in the social and economic system. The image of slavery in this country has an absolute racial component to it. Uh, but that was not true among the Jews. Most of the slaves were from among, among themselves. Uh, some were sold into slavery. Others became slave by choice to pay debts. In fact, some could sell themselves into slavery to pay a debt. Uh, some were prisoners of war. Uh, and, but there was a very human element in slavery that we're looking at here. And God never gave the masters unlimited power uh, to, to, to rule or abuse the slaves. I found the image of slaves owning slaves... Uh, in, I found this, the, these pictures of slaves owning slaves, but I didn't find any real historical record of that. But in ancient Israel, slavery was more of an occupation. It was kind of like a servanthood with, with, uh, with rights. Uh, and in a way, think about it. And I gotta, I gotta, I'm, you know, I'm not being uh, holier than thou by any means. 
Uh, we sell ourselves into slavery today uh, in these times. You know, the new car in the driveway, your upscale house, you're going to drive by the McDonald's on your way to the Derby for dinner of lobster and prime rib. Uh, you know, it can mean keep punching that time clock, you know, or I sold my soul to the company store, you know. Uh, I'm glad I put numbers on these. I found an article uh, in Crossway. If an, if an Isra- Israelite fell upon hard times, he could offer uh, to work for someone else or he would turn to look after them. That came from uh, Leviticus 25, verse 20, 39. If a thief was caught and could not make restitution, then they were sold for the theft. Uh, Exodus 22, verse 3. Debtors who went bankrupt could force to sell their children into slavery. Second uh, Kings, verse four, verse uh, chapter four, verse one. The reasons all apply to Hebrew slaves. However, difficult to say why the Bible allowed them to take uh, prisoners of war uh, and make them slaves instead of killing them. Maybe it was uh, an economic thing. Uh, but uh, if you remember, David uh, would put the conquered Ammonites to uh, to forced labor. So slavery is not. You know, you just say the word slavery in this day and age, and it really brings up a whole different attitude. But X is constantly hammering into us, and he's so right. Context, context, context. We've got to look at it in the sign, you know, in the times that this was written. Uh, when we think of slavery, uh, we think uh, we see it as a very charged word. But what they were uh, creating here was a situation. That was more of a work contract. Uh, so I'm going to work for you. And there was, a, there was a, a time element in it. In a way, when you go in and you punch in in the morning, you know, you're going to be there for 8 or 12 or 16 hours or whatever. It's kind of the same thing, only on a small, small scale. Uh, uh, The modern look at slavery that we have today is different than it was at the time in Exodus. We think of something akin to roots. Uh, (laughs) In the movie, slaves are always black, they're always beaten, and all of them could sing gospel songs and the blues better than the white white folk could ever sing. Uh, Can you say stereotype, you know? Uh, I would submit, and this young man over here will probably agree, that slavery began in the home. When my dad, <laughs> daddy had me out with a push mower on a blazing hot Saturday, uh, mowing our large corn lot or raking leaves on a windy fall day, not letting me quit till all the leaves were picked up, I felt like a slave. I did. <laughs> there I was, 13 years old, pushing the mower and saying, nobody knows. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, you know, slavery is a frame of mind. In searching this study, I came across some very liberal opinions of slavery in the Bible. And, they, they, and, and this is what we're working through right now. Uh, they lack a sense of history. Uh, here's, here's the headings of some of these uh, articles. Does God condone human trafficking? The Bible approves of slavery. The Bible says slaves can be beaten. Worldwide slave trade centered in Israel. 
That was actually for a modern story. Uh, but these were intentions for the times. God did not intend, had, uh, didn't in, ever intend for tr- slaves to be m- mistreated. Listen to these verses in Deuteronomy. The harshness alluded to in these liberal po- posts, they fall apart right here. Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 18. If a, f- if a fellow Hebrew, man or woman, is sold to you, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year you shall set him free. When you set him free, do not let him go empty-handed. Furnish him out of the flock, threshing floor, and vat, with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Bear in mind that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Uh, there's a whole different attitude there uh, than than what you might uh, see in our our modern view of slavery. Uh, the condition of slaves among Hebrew people would be marked would be in marked distinction to slavery as it existed among other peoples. It was the gre- beginning of a great moral movement. Uh, so what I'm saying here, and what I believe the Lord is teaching us here is that when he set down these judgments, these judgments were set down in love. They were, they were to protect both the slave and the master. Uh, and they were to settle disputes that could have two people going at each other. Uh, if he comes in by himself, verse 3, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. The idea presented here is this. A slave should not suffer loss uh, from his labors, save for his service. And the master also should not suffer loss. That is, a slave couldn't gain anything from being a slave or lose anything. One commentator put it like this. I like this. If a slave came in with a new coat, he should leave with a new coat. The assumption being if he wore out his, his new coat in the service of his master, he should be, recon- re- uh, he should be paid back. Uh, Verse 4, if his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. This verse is kind of tied to the previous verse. Uh, if a master had given a female slave to him as a wife, then the woman and her children are the master's property, not the slave's property. Therefore, he should not gain and the master should not suffer loss. You can see that God is just to his people. He's fair. Uh, But if a servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Uh, Okay, so here's the question. Was every slave owner a kind and fair-minded man? Uh, (laughs) Is every one of us here a failure-proof Christian? (laughs) I don't think so. At least not while I'm in the room. Uh, we, uh, however, some must, some obviously were good people uh, and loving people because a provision is made here for a slave to dedicate his service to his master uh, for life. Uh, I wondered at this point, could a, could a master refuse a slave's uh, commitment to him? You know, what if the guy was a real loser? You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm serious, uh, but. Uh, how does this apply? Uh, if you're an employer running a crew, how many of the people working under you would want to work to, work for you forever? You know, how many people would would seriously want to be on your crew? And 
As a worker, do you do, do your job so well that your boss is really glad you're working for him? So this is a two-way street. You know, I do believe that a master probably could refuse it. Now, in verse 6, and this is why I think that, that it isn't just left to that alone. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forevermore. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. The slave has changed his six-year term to a life term by choice. By choice. Uh, and notice that this isn't a private matter. This wasn't a private matter. The slave and the master would go before the judges. The judges would hear this and would make judgment on it. So I think it's possible that a master could maybe refuse it. But at any rate, it was a public ceremony. It was, it was marked. And then to, to take it one step further, uh, the slave would end up going and having his ear pierced putting his ear to the doorpost and wearing an earring, which would mark him as a bondservant. And uh, to me, that would be a pretty cool status to have. Say, I love my master so much, I'm part of that household. I started as a slave, but I'm part of the family now because that's what happened. Slaves became more closely tied into the family. But I suppose the judges would look at each uh, situation uh, the commitment couldn't be entered into because of debt or obligation either. It wasn't because you owed him. Because then a master could coerce a servant and making him uh, become a bond servant. But by this time, the servant probably was a part of the family. And although, although he wore an earring of the bond servant, uh, he probably earned his spot. Uh, and along with his care, there was probably affection and a sense of belonging. One time I, was, I got a card from a guy that does transmissions, and it was a Christian uh, fish on it. And I asked him, are you a Christian? You know? And he said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I'm his bondservant. Wow. Boy, it pinned me back. It was like, okay. Uh, please consider God's plan for us is perfect. Our sin nature and sheer imperfection of our humanity uh, would make this uh, plan for slaves tenuous or maybe shaky at best. Uh, in a perfect world, we're all going to go for, forward as perfect people and sin not. That's what God said we should do. So that's what the Ten Commandments tell us. Uh, but on every Sunday, Don and I go to men's prison down here, you know, men's central jail, and deal with prisoners, some of them convicted, who have ignored one or more of God's Ten Commandments. You know, that's why they're there. So it's with these judgments. And I pray we listen for the voice of God, and God's love does always come to us. But it's, it, it, does it come through us, or does it stop with us? Uh, I've got I've to check myself all, this, all the time. I, I do. I look at people sometimes, and I just go, do I look at this person the way Jesus looks at them? And I think, well, sometimes I don't. I don't. I make judgments. I, I, I mess up, too. And do I love people the way Jesus loves them? Uh, that's what this, this uh, chapter really covers. Now, female slaves. We're going to look at female slaves next. Uh, they get treated a little bit differently. Uh, while they could be sold to a master as a, a worker, 
as a household slave or something, uh, they more often than not were given as a wife uh, for either the, the master or his son. And depending on the arrangements, uh, we'll see these women had certain rights to protect them. Uh, God just didn't... It was considered a pretty heavy thing to sell your daughter as a slave. It makes it clear, verse 7, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. Verse 7 makes it clear the terms of her servanthood differs from that of the males. And after selling a daughter, selling a daughter had to be done in extreme situations only. Uh, it's supposed by most commentators that marriage was usually the purpose of the sale, and for various reasons she could be sold into slavery, perhaps maybe to satisfy a dowry. Uh, maybe he, she was marrying up uh, into a, a wealthy family, and, and in order to cover that dowry, uh, uh, slavehood or servanthood came into play. Uh, coal. You know, I, I quote some of these people because I think what they wrote is cool, but I don't know Cole from a Krispy Kreme donut. Uh, Cole, probably the, the origin of the custom was the same in either case, to avoid paying a higher bride price at a later age and to rear the future daughter-in-law within the family, ensuring that she fitted in. Such an attitude to slaves abolishes slavery except in name. That's pretty cool. Uh, when you think about it, a young lady is sold into slavery, but she lives with the family and she learns to fit in and she learns to, to acclimate to that family's lifestyle. Uh, there was a certain kindness to this. Verse 8, if she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. On the one hand, the master is supposed to be pleased. Okay, but if for any reason he's not, he's bound to deal with her fairly. He can't say, I don't like you anymore. Uh, she's freed of her contract of obligation. And there was a computation uh, that could be done to determine the amount of redemption. Uh, and it was based on years of service and different, you know, various things. But uh, she could be redeemed by her father, a relative, and she would no, she would be a slave no more. Uh, Kaiser, should the terms of her marriage contract not be fulfilled, it is considered a breach of contract, and the purchaser must allow the girl to be redeemed. No right to sell her to a foreign people, Cole says. Even if he has wearied of her, he cannot sell her to another master. It would be a breach of his marriage obligation to her. So we find that that female slaves uh, did not go out as male slaves did. And they were protected. And I, remembering always as we go through these judgments that the Lord, God, set these judgments down. These weren't what men, you know, in their wisdom came up with. This is what God was put in for the protection of his people. Verse 9, And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. The verse uh, includes this term, the custom of the daughters. And as if, as if she was his own daughter. As if she was his own daughter. Uh, the father would give her a dowry, and she would be treated as a daughter, not a slave. Uh, once again, notice the, the care and protection God gives her. Although feminists might get all flipped out 
uh, over an arranged marriage and the slave status of these verses. Once again, I, I love it. Context, context, context. The, the, this is, check this out. The, the Million Woman March had not taken place yet, okay? Uh, oddly, it was the goodness of God that paved the way for it. It's, this is true. It's happening right here. The judgments that God handed down on behalf of women put Israel light years ahead of the rest of the nations the way women were regarded. Then Jesus is going to take it even further. Jesus is going to take it even further. I, I, I have a new covenant. The same could be said, said of slaves in general. Uh, the, uh, as I said earlier, these, these judgments are time sensitive. They were meant for people hundreds of years B.C., uh, and as we go on, it will be even more apparent that these judgments were for a time. Ten commandments for all time. Uh, when my kids were in grammar school, uh, I made a deal with them regarding grades. I didn't think it was bad at all to give them good money for good grades. Uh, so I said, okay, 25 bucks for an A and 15 bucks for a B. And that was... That was a long time ago. That was a good 30 years ago. So it was big bucks. And my daughter always loved having a little of my money. Uh, and she, she managed to sting me pretty good. She was, you know, she, she was pretty good at school. My son wasn't much of a student. He, uh, but he was blessed with both intelligence and wisdom. He's a really smart guy. He just hated school. Hated it. Uh, Book learning was just not for him. So on one report card, he gets this smattering of C's, uh, a fair amount of D's, a whole lot of D's, and, and an F or two. Dismal, dismal report card. It's one of those report cards. You know, he didn't want to bring it home, and I didn't want to look at it, you know. Uh, so there was one obscure, worthless class, you know, that he got an A in. It was like some really ridiculous, you know, Basket weaving with love or something. Uh, so he wanted to know if he would get 25 bucks for the A, right? And I'm fuming at him, <laughs> you know. You know, the deal's the deal. So I told him if he was chicken bleep enough to take it, I would give it to him. <laughs> he never asked for it again. But I had to modify my plan after that. I realized I was flawed. So it was 25 for an A, 15 for a B. But I added minus 15 for a D and minus 25 for an F. Now it's kind of balanced, okay? But God's not like us. He has no problem seeing all the angles and possibilities right out of the gate. He's good. Uh, and he doesn't have to change his tactics like I did. Uh, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. He makes uh, So then... We go on in this in verse 10. If a master takes another wife, God addresses that too. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. Uh, the, once again, the, the female slave uh, is protected from a devious master. The judgments are laid up clearly. Uh, she's not hung out to dry. Verse 11. And if he does not do these three, four, then she shall go out free without paying money. Cusick puts it beautifully. The girl in this circumstance, out of her birth home, released by her natural parents, had no natural protector in that society. God directed the judges of Israel to be her protector. Excellent. Excellent. 
Uh, and that remembering verse 7, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the males do. Uh, we can see what the Lord meant in verse 7. He's complete and loving, God is. He doesn't forget any, anything. He leaves nothing out. Slavery become a bad word, has become a bad word. It's practiced in this country, in the British Empire and other places. And it should be a very bad word. God viewed slaves as men, however, and women created in his image. He loves us all beyond our comprehension, absolutely beyond our comprehension. If anybody can figure out why God loves them, come and tell me. Uh, his love is beyond the ability to, uh, of our minds to understand, but not beyond our hearts. Our hearts get it. Where your mind fails, your heart will get it. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a verbal thing. Therefore, God allowed slavery, but set down judgments to protect both slaves and their masters, so both might benefit from the relationship to each other. And that's what it was supposed to do. Both people should benefit. Remembering a slave was going to be cut loose in six years or in the year of Jubilee. Uh, the slaves were not bound forever. Verse 12, we're going to shift gears here. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Any questions? <laughs> Capital punishment goes back to Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for the, for the in the image of God he made man. And in the New Testament, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Romans 13, 4, for he, for he is God's minister for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. No doubt what we should do here. Uh, verse 13, however, if he does not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I'll appoint for you a place where he may flee. To me, it went something, and when I first read it, it was something like this. If I ever see that so-and-so again, I'm going to kill him. I'm not going to go looking for him. But if I see him again, he's a dead man. So I read this commentary. tells me I'm wrong. Uh, Ellicott's commentary indicates uh, that this has to be done without malice and forethought. I can't sit around hating this guy, just waiting for him to show up. You know, you got to remember, this is a small world back then. You probably were going to see him again. So I was a little off base. Uh, I thought it was strange to see God has delivered someone into the hands of someone that wants to kill him. Uh, and I'd like to welcome you to the original sanctuary city. Uh, Ellicott's commentary. If a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand... If that is, without malice, a forethought, a man happen upon his enemy, God's providence has brought the two into contact without man's contrivance. And the result is that one slay the other, then the law of refuge or asylum shall come in. And a place is to provide it, whither the manslayer may flee, and where he may be safe, at any rate, until the cause is inquired into. Hitherto, Throughout the East, it has been regarded as the duty of the next of kin to avenge homicide, whatever kind, and any blood that had been extracted, blood for blood. However sudden, however provoked, 
however excusable, had been the homicide. So no matter what, somebody was going to come after that person. Even if that person that got killed attacked the person that killed him, uh, the, the relative was going to go out looking for him. So uh, no right of asylum, so far as we know, has ever been established before. Sinaitic, uh legislation for the first time interposed the city of refuge where the avenger of blood and his victim uh, would be separated. It was the elders of the city would see that the privilege was not abused. So if you were a murderer, uh, if you were one of the guys that mentioned in the previous verse that you, you killed a man on purpose, premeditated, you couldn't hide in a sanctuary city. The elders would have to check it out. This is all from Numbers uh, chapter 25, 22 to 25, uh, 35, 22 to 25. Where the elders considered that his claim made out, he was entitled to protection. If he was right, if, if, if he had a just cause and the elders of the city judged him so, then he could stay there and he would be protected. Uh, in Numbers 35, verse 6, And among the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee thither. And to them shall add forty and two cities. So it was going to grow to 48 cities of, uh, of refuge. So there was going to be a place to run and a place to hide. Now in verse 14, however, but if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. God's just and fair. Uh, the Sixth Commandment needs no interpretation. Thou shalt not murder. Period. Period. Everybody watch Greg Codefield? He always finishes his, his rants with period. Uh, notice throughout these judgments, you're going to find the Ten Commandments of the plumb line. Uh, not one judgment contradicts any of them. Not like me. Didn't have to make up different rules to cover a situation. Verse 15. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Uh, I personally, I got, I thought about this. You know, we've all been teenagers. Uh, I never thought about striking my mom or my dad, even as a teenager. Uh, when they put all these stupid, awful, senseless, ridiculous rules and restrictions to keep me out of the hospital or out of the jail or out of a coffin. You know, I never wanted to hit him even then, you know. I mean, but at the time, what did Mark Twain said when I was 16, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was. When I was 20, 21, I couldn't believe how much the old man learned in five years, you know. <laughs> Evidently, the Lord knew there would be some who would think about it and perhaps some would strike their parents. Here we have a regulation to make most uh, think twice about it by the punishment that those who struck their parents received. The fifth commandment is honoring your father and your mother. Uh, he who kidnaps a man, verse 16, and sells him, or if he's found in hand, shall surely be put to death. I find kidnapping just one of the most awful crimes, personally. It, it's just terrible to think that somebody could do something like that for any reason. Kidnapping for slavery is even more reprehensible. It's not uncommon in the ancient world. Evidently, it's not uncommon in Phoenix nowadays. Uh, there would be no 
they would have to be uh, present in a kidnapper, a total disregard for human life and absolute greed, especially if his intention was to sell the individual for money. Uh, and God evidently does not value the life of a kidnapper either. Uh, the punishment was death. In verse 17, I don't know why these two got split up, but six, uh, 15 and 17 are actually kind of like bread and butter. Uh, verse 17, And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 15 means striking a parent, which would logically be seen as a potential for murder. If you hit your mom or your dad, you know, you could, you'd be mad if you did, and you could kill him. Uh, but now he adds that he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. The fifth commandment instructs us to honor our father and mother. In the eyes of God, this is a highly significant issue. So much so that God places it right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And here we see the penalty is the same as striking uh, or even murder. To me, it's clear the Lord will not tolerate disrespect to appearance. In Deuteronomy, here's an example. In Deuteronomy verses 21, or chapter 21, verses 18 to 21. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious... You ought to listen to this. This is important. Uh, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which he will not obey the voice of his father, the voice of his mother, and that when they had chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold of him and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. In 20, and they shall say to the elders of the city, this is our son, stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he shall die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's crazy. Uh, it says in First John uh Chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. But he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This is a paraphrase to me uh, as an example. If you can strike or curse your father who you have seen, how can you love your heavenly father who you haven't seen? Uh, There's a chain of command. Concerning liability and restitution now, verses 18 and 19. If a man contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or his fist and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted and he shall only pay for the loss of his time and he shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. Blame's not addressed here, okay? When we enter into physical contention with another, Both parties are liable for the outcome. Uh, The one who causes injury is liable for the compensation. If a person who is injured is bedridden but gets up again, then there's no criminal charge. The person who injured the other, though, is responsible for lost wages because even in the Old Old Testament, time's money, and money is livelihood. The person who injured the other is responsible until the other is thoroughly healed. God takes care of us. Verse 20. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, 
he shall surely be punished. Verses 20 and 21 both deal with the beating of a slave to death. Uh, in most ancient cultures of this time, killing one slave was not a crime, actually. Uh, and there was no punishment. But here in Israel, God ordained differently. Uh, he's not allowed this freedom. If you killed your slave, you should be punished. The punishment would be death. Why? Genesis 9, 6, once again, whoever, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made man. You can't kill somebody without, even if it's your slave, you can't say, well, he's only my slave, no big deal. Uh, verse 21, notwithstanding, this is kind of interesting, if he remains alive a day or two, <laughs> he shall not be punished, for he is his property. Uh, ownership comes into play here. In verse 21, if slain does not die immediately, but lingers for a day or two, no punishment shall be levied. Why? For he is his property. Once again, we've got to remember the context of the situation. It would help us understand this better. I was once a, a foreman for a a company was set up trade shows, varying sizes. Uh, some of the men that worked for me might have considered me a slave driver. Uh, and uh, some of the men who worked for me would have been beaten with a rod if they had been slaves. I'm here to tell you. I remember I had one show where these three guys came walking down the ramp, and I looked at them, and they looked like the the 4th of July Fife and Bugle Corps, you know, where everybody's all beat up from battle and they're kind of marching along. I looked, I went, oh, my God. But we got showing anyway. I worked exceptionally hard. Uh, one speculation for verse 21 is read, that I read was perhaps the beating was for discipline. And uh, the owner got carried away. But it wasn't malicious and it was never intended to kill the slave. Okay? Uh and therefore, it was forgivable. And if he didn't immediately die, I guess that was the plumb line. Also, the slave belonged to the master, for he is his property. We have to judge all this in its historical context. We do. I mean, obviously, today in today's world, slavery is not happening. Uh, I mean, it does. I'm sure it does happen in other countries. But in our country, it doesn't happen. Uh, 22, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman, accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Gives us a little more insight here into the status of women uh, in these times. Notice the, it's the woman's husband that brings punishment upon the man or men. Uh, and then only if there was harm. But it was the woman's husband. The judges would hear the case and would rule on it. Restitution would be made. A premature baby requires more attention, so this would have to be made good. And it's, it's logical. Uh, it's wisdom. But in these next three verses, harm is addressed and the punishment should be as it should be meted out. 23, 24, and 25. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, 
burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Uh, if you recall, after the sixth verse, I said God's plan was perfect, but added that we're far from perfect. Uh, in fact, we, you might say we're perfectly imperfect. Uh, so far, the judgment's covered a host of wrongs had, that had to be dealt with. Uh, seen a lot of violence and cruelty that needed to be addressed. Uh, maybe it's a non sequitur. Beneath the veneer of civilization, we're very funky people. Uh, and were it not for Jesus Christ, we would be doomed. We would. We'd beat each other's throats. 26 and 27. Uh, and this, you know, like back in verses, uh, uh, I think it was 6, uh, for the bondservant. Uh, you know, here we had this, this loving master and this loving servant. You know, and they dug each other. But now in 26 and 27, we take a different turn here, uh, proving that we're funky. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant, destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. So you have to worry about, wonder about verses 5 and 6 regarding the servant who said he loved his master on his serving for life. Obviously, not all masters were lovable. Okay? There's always going to be a human component to slavery. Uh, and being humans, being fall, you know, living in a fallen world, not everybody who was a master was cool. You know, you'd like to think I'd be a cool master or I'd be a cool servant, you know, so much so that the master would really come to rely on me and stuff. But it wasn't always like that. I worked for people that were awful masters, awful foremen. You know, they were. They were terrible. Uh, God provided for the servant who was physically injured would allow him to go free. So in other words, uh, the, the master would be deprived. If this didn't teach him humanity, it taught them caution, as one rash blow might be de- deprive them of all future service to the slave. And this self-interest obliged them to be cautious and circumspect. So at least you had to be careful, if only for money. You know, you may, you may not like the guy, you may, you may hate this slave, you may think he's lazy and all that, but you weren't going to damage him. Because if you did, you wouldn't get him at all. 28. That's what I said earlier about we might have to bring these rules up if, if I buy an ox. Uh, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall be surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. You've got to look at int- intent and neglect as we look at these uh, ox laws here. Uh, if the oxen in question had no history of aggressive behavior, then the owner was blameless. Uh, however, no gain could be found in this circumstance. The ox would be killed and not eaten. Thus, there was no profit, and the owner still suffered loss uh, for the loss of his ox. It was considered accidental. It wasn't on purpose. Verse 29, different story. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, been made known to its owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to death. Wholly different story here. In this situation, we have the death of a person caused by an ox, but in this case, the owner knew it was a dangerous animal. Uh, therefore, the owner is guilty, because he did not confine it 
Today's language may be charged with negligent homicide or something like that. I don't know. The penalty, stone the ox, execute the owner. Real straightforward. 30. This is interesting, though. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. It would appear that a fine for restitution could be levied by the deceased family, by the deceased family, relatives. And if that fine was paid, he would redeem his life. Okay? It's a no-brainer, you know, to me. I don't care what the amount of money is, you know. I won't pay. It's too much. Uh-uh. Sidebar. If he didn't have enough money to pay his fine and save his life, he could sell himself as a slave. Works. You know, then the family of the deceased gets restitution and he stays alive. And he's got a six-year sentence. Who knows? He might have a life sentence with a great owner. Who knows? Uh, whether his gourd a son or a daughter, according to his judgment, shall be done to him. The same principles apply to a minor as to an adult. Therefore, if your son or daughter were killed, the same judgment would apply. The same thing. If it was an accident, if you knew that your ox was dangerous and you didn't confine him. Uh, now, verse 32 covers uh, a slave. Uh, if an ox gores a male or a female servant, he shall give to the master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Uh, in the event that a slave was slain by an ox, the owner of the ox would have to pay the slave master 30 shekels which was the price of a slave in that time. It's interesting that that's what Judas received for betraying Jesus. The ox should be, then be stoned. The owner of the ox lost 30 shekels of silver and an ox. Okay. This is interesting. If a man opens a pit or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner shall, of the pit shall make good. He shall give money to their owner but the dead animal should be his. In other words, he'll replace the animal that, that was killed by the fall into the pit. He gets the key. He gets a dead animal. The guy whose animal was uh, lost gets enough money to buy another animal. So he's really not out anything. Uh, pits were, uh, were dug. It wasn't uncommon to dig pits. They were a tool uh, for grain storage, uh, uh, to use as traps for animals or even prisons, prisons for men. Uh, Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Uh, but the bottom line is you had to be responsible for your property. If you dug a pit and something was damaged or hurt because of your digging a pit, then you had to pay. Verse 35, If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, they shall sell the live ox, divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. So then they owe... Both end up with half of the funds from the sale of a live ox and half of a dead ox each. Okay? Once again, it's pretty fair. Or if it was known, verse 36, that the, that the ox tended to thrust in times fast and its owner had not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall be his own. What he gains is a dead ox, but he's got to cover the guy's loss. So what you see through... This entire chapter is is this uh, justice and equity, and and God knows what a mess we are. Uh, God knows what a mess we are, and he 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 puts down these judgments to help us live together, to to have rules to cover our 
our our indiscretion, our transgressions. We're going to transgress. Uh, that's just the way it is. We're people. You know, we're going to say something sometimes that offends somebody. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, and as we make mistakes, God's covered us. He's got the rules down. This is how you deal with your mistakes. But it's God's love that wrote these rules. It wasn't God just wanting to, you know, create a situation. Uh, justice and equity, fairness, honesty, human life honored, wrongdoing punished. God loves us. He didn't leave us to figure this out by ourselves. The judgments of God, God reflect this incredible love. The mess the world is in and the crowding in our jails. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that this is such a mess. The laws recorded in this chapter relate to the fifth and sixth commandments. And though not totally applicable to today, specifically regarding slavery, yet a great, uh, are a great use for the explanation of moral law and the rules of natural justice. We have to look at slavery, but none of us own slaves. We have to look at the treatment of parents and acts of violence, which you hopefully never be guilty of. We've seen how God dealt with accidents, negligence, and restitution. Some of these things apply to us. Okay? But in all these things, we see God's love watching over his people. We can get lost in the details and particulars of all this, but we have to step back and look at the big picture. God loves us. That's the big picture. Okay, here's my, my own personal default button. comes in Mark. Chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we're grateful, Lord, that you set laws before us. We're grateful, Lord, that you've defined the parameters of our lives, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to help us to deal with these laws and rules. We know they're for our own good. And so I pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts and you direct us, that you instruct us, that you counsel us, Lord, that you rebuke us, that you reward us. And you just bless us to, to hear your voice and to listen with an obedient ear. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for this time and this place. And we ask you to please bless us now as we go out into the world to live these rules, these commandments out. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.